Thank you all for checking out this week's episode. Once again, I'm John. If you like what you heard and saw today, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And check out our brand new merch store with hats, coffee mugs, t-shirts, other cool stuff coming down the pipeline. Again, thank you all for support. Be safe and see you next week. How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk. And today, uh, for the 150th episode of Spear Talk, uh, I couldn't think of a better guest. We welcome the incredible Joe Pistone to the show. Joe is a former FBI agent, having spent 17 years with the agency uh, between the years of 1976 and 1981. <coughs> he, his undercover work portraying the incredible, the legendary character of Donnie Brasco uh, helped infiltrate uh, and bring down the mafia families in New York City. He's also the author of several books to include Donnie Brasco, My Undercover Life in the Mafia, uh, which is the starting point for the 1997 movie starring Johnny Depp and Al Pacino, Donnie Brasco. He's also the host, podcast host of Deep Cover, The Real Donnie Brasco. Joe, it is awesome to have you on here today. Well, good morning. Thank you for having me. And uh, I actually spent uh, 27 years with the FBI. Gotcha. Uh, what happened? I... Uh, I left after 17 years and I stayed, I was out a couple of years and then I went back and then uh, stayed until uh, retirement. Yeah. yeah. Was it so, weird? Was it weird going back after leaving the first time? I mean, obviously I understand why you left after the, those last couple of years, the first time, but was it kind of weird going back being like, Hey, I'm back guys. Well, what was uh, weird about it was that the, Normally, uh, the FBI doesn't uh, take retreads. In other words, if you once you leave, uh, it's very rare that they'll they'll take you back. Uh, <clears throat> but I was lucky enough that uh, that they accepted my second application. Uh, and what they normally do, if they do take a retread, uh, once they finish uh, their firearms training. Then they'll send them into the field. But they told me, well, you know, you got to go through the whole 22 weeks of, of new agents training. <laughs> so I said, uh, well, uh, what, you know, what grade level and what salary are you going to start me at? And they said, well, the same salary as you left. I said, so you're going to pay me that to sit in, in a classroom for 22 weeks? And they said, yeah, I said, well, I'm in, I'm in on that. So I went through new agents training with uh, people a whole lot younger than I was, you know, uh, 24, 25, 26, 27 year olds. Uh, and they didn't cut me any slack. And uh, they said, uh, you know, we can't cut you any slack because we don't want any lawsuits uh, coming down the pike that uh, <clears throat> that just because you are who you are that uh, right that we that we cut you slack during the training. But um, I was in shape. I always stayed in shape. I always, you know, I always worked out, lifted weights, uh, and ran. So I was in, you know, I was in good shape. Uh, and each. Each new agents class has a, a a counselor. They well, they actually back then they had two counselors, and uh, the counselors come up. They said, "Geez, here, here we thought we we're going to get some 
uh, out of shape, fat <laughs> retread right. coming in. <laughs> so they were happy that that I was in shape because you know it took the pressure off of them too. But uh, but it was, worked out. Was it difficult to shake the baggage <clears throat> of a Donnie Brasco as you relaunch your FBI career? Like, how do you kind of get to the point mentally where you're kind of like, I could keep doing this at the level I'm used to without bringing in the baggage of a Donnie Brasco. Uh, yeah, in the beginning it was, but you know, um, I'm, I'm kind of a, I don't know, a low key type of guy. Uh, I take things as they come. Uh, I didn't uh I didn't dwell on the past, you know what I mean? Right. Uh that I you know that I did what I did and I you know I mean everybody knew who I was and everything. Uh a lot of people stared clear to you, clear of me. Uh I guess only because they I don't know why you know maybe they uh, intimidation, you know. But once they got to know me, uh, you know, that I wasn't uh, living on on my past as Donnie Brasco, uh, everything moved along. And so to answer your question, uh, no, I, I, I didn't really have any uh, uh, any problems with that. You've often talked about a lot of your speeches and obviously your books where you have to have the mental fortitude and strength to kind of do your job, whether it's undercover or even law enforcement in general. It's like, have you noticed, like, if you were going into law enforcement today and wanted to be become Joe was going signing up for the FBI today, is that something where they the physical aspect, the shooting, the all the stuff you kind of go with being a law enforcement, but do they train enough about the mental strength of people? like you or is law enforcement take kind of put that on the back burner where it's like, we'll deal with the mental issues if they come up. But as of right now, we're not really pushing to see if someone's mentally strong enough to do this. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think that's, that's a problem. I mean, although uh, you do get psychological testing, you know, when you apply for these jobs, uh, I think a lot of times with local police departments, they don't have the money, you know, uh, in the recruitment process. Uh, and, you know, when you, when you do have these psychological tests and, you know, that's an extra, uh, financial burden on, on the local police department because they're paying a, uh, a psychiatrist or a psychologist, uh, and they figure, well, we'll deal with it during, uh, during the tra the training period, the new agents or the new, you know, the new recruit class. Uh, but then, you know, then sometimes it gets too late because they're into the, uh, they're in, they're into the, uh, into the training period and, uh, they don't, you know, look, they're not looking to wash you out because they, they spent so much money getting you right. there. Right. Right. Uh, they, they spent time recruiting you. They spent, uh, money in doing your background investigation, uh, so they're not really looking to wash you out. They're looking to get you through. Uh, and I think a lot of a lot of uh, individuals uh, fall through the cracks uh, because of that uh, uh, problem. Do you think it's a fair assessment to say that it's, <clears throat> it would be difficult, whether you're a guy or girl, to join into any law enforcement department today based on 
not only the last couple of years, but this 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 idea that the media will always vilify cops. And obviously there's bad law enforcement people out there. I get that. But for the ones that are good, the ones that do care, that are forced to retire early because their their boss is getting pressure from their local jurisdiction to it's like that type of stuff. We are a country that needs men and women to, to stand on the side of good. And it's like it's almost it's almost to me where I look at it and watch the news <coughs> and read the papers. I'm like, if I were a young kid that wanted to be a cop, I don't want to do that now because it's not worth the time and hassle. Yeah, you're correct. And I and you know, I follow it and and uh I just read and and I have, you know, uh good relationships with with uh people that are still on the job. Uh, and some departments are lowering the standards, you know, uh, because of, you know, uh, diversity or whatever. I mean, so you're lowering the standards. So what, you know, what are you liable to to recruit? You're going to recruit somebody that, uh, that that's not probably going to make it, uh, and if they do make it through the academy, chances are after the you know a couple of years they're gonna you're gonna have problems with them. Uh, right. Uh, I don't know why. You know you want you want to dumb down the standards, especially in today's times with all the all the problems you have uh, as far as the public's uh, uh, perception of law enforcement. Right. Uh, so, one of. Uh... Before you got into law enforcement, you have you got a degree in anthropology, and I've always thought that I've had friends that have had that. They've actually never gone into that career path. Now, obviously, you did something different, but what kind of why did you choose anthropology as almost as a potential starting point in your life and career? You know, I I, I don't mean to correct you, but I don't know where that came from. Uh, uh, I had a couple anthropology cl- classes in college, but but I don't have a degree in, in anthropology. I mean, uh, uh, I got a degree in history, uh, but I always wanted to get into law enforcement. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, I actually took the uh, the local police exam when I was a senior in college. And uh, I got a, I, I got an appointment to the uh, PD, but I would have had to drop out of school to go to, to go to, uh, recruit school right and I, didn't, I was in my last year of college i didn't want to drop out so uh i didn't take the the job at, in the local police department uh but i always wanted to get into uh uh into law enforcement i mean that you know i always had that in my mind uh so uh <clears throat> i applied uh for the navy for naval intelligence and uh, i took a job teaching history uh, while I was waiting to get that appointment, and then when I got that appointment, uh, I spent several years with uh, with Naval Intelligence, and uh, then took the test for uh, DEA and uh, the FBI. And uh, the FBI appointment came through first, so I went with the FBI. Yeah, I love that. It's it's one of those things. It's always interesting hearing people talk about their kind of trajectory into the undercover work, and I've had. Steve Murphy and Javier Pena, Jay Dobbins. Good, yeah, good friends of mine. Yeah, Bob Hamer, Pierre Charette. It's, I've always been fascinated by when I have those guests on their undercover lives, how one thing leads to another. And they, they you jump in there to serve the people and do your job as a law enforcement officer. And then you get kind of thrust into these 
different roles. And it's like your story of, I mean, I can, I've only imagined your upbringing and stuff with your family life and where you lived. Like it helped, was very conducive to helping create this idea, this character of Donnie Brasco, right? Like it seemed like hanging with the right people and kind of understanding the lingo and how people moved and all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I grew up in an all Italian neighborhood. It helps. You know, uh, it, it helps a lot, you know, <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> it, it, it was a neighborhood where, you know, there, there were wise guys that uh, uh, <laughs> were a couple of social clubs. You know, these guys were wise guys and you knew who they were. <clears throat> uh, and uh, there was. There was no problem with them because they they didn't conduct their business, you know, within the neighborhood. But you know who they are. And, uh, and, you know, growing up in an Italian Italian environment, Italian household, you know that uh, uh, you don't uh, you don't get involved in conversations that that you're not supposed to that have no you have no business uh, knowing about uh, just different things like that. Um, knowing you know knowing the street you know the neighborhood you grow up in uh uh <clears throat> you got to be street smart uh uh in the undercover in the undercover profession uh you got to be aware of your surroundings uh you got to have you you got to have you know everybody can't do undercover just because right. you're just because you're uh an agent a police officer doesn't mean you're you know you're you're going to be able to work undercover. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, you, you, you've got to be, you have to be a good investigator. You've got to have a, a good mental toughness uh, to push through all the downside of working undercover. Undercover isn't like you see on television. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> believe me. Grow a beard and uh, follow a car for a couple hours, and here, yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, uh, uh, it it's just not that like that. It's you and and undercover is is, is communications, and and a lot of I do a lot of uh, undercover schools, and that's the main thing that that I stress to these young young officers. Uh, it's communication. Uh, you don't ingratiate yourself with somebody by texting them, <laughs> you know, right, right. it's, it's oral communication. That that's how you communicate in the undercover world on the street uh, to get yourself in, to, you know, to get them to trust you, not, not by testing them. Uh, <clears throat> and that's one of the problems with the younger generation is that they don't have any communication skills, not <laughs> Right, uh, which is sad because they're so used to, you know, to all the social media and and computers and 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 phones, and texting each other, uh, uh, and it, it's a big thing. Uh, so, uh, and like I and like I tell them, just because you're, and and to be a good undercover, you have to had to be a good investigator. Right, but. Just because you were a good investigator doesn't mean you were going to be a good undercover. Right. Does that make sense to yeah, you? Yeah, it does make sense. Yeah. You, you mentioned technology. Is that something that how it is today with all this different phones and cameras and social media, how much would that made your job more difficult or easier? Or is it like a mix of both? 
Well, it, it probably would have made it a little difficult, more difficult, a mix of both. Uh, and I'm not giving away any secrets. Right. Look, with, with all this social media, the hardest thing in undercover now is 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 building your legend. Yep. <laughs> you know. <laughs> right. I mean, you could just punch in anybody's name today and come up with, you know, ten pages on them. So that's that's a big problem. If Donnie Brasco was a real person and Joe Pistone was a fake na- fake person, how would you have infiltrated Joe Pistone's life as Donnie Brasco? Uh, I think the way of, the way I grew up, the way I you know the way I handled myself, you know, uh, <clears throat> I always knew the street. You know what I mean, right? Uh, <clears throat> And to answer that question, I really didn't change anything. So interesting. Yeah. There's your answer. The only thing I changed was my name. Right. Uh, I never changed. And I never changed my personality. Uh, I I never tried to act like a gangster or or like a, a thief. Uh, I, I was myself. I, I never, like I said, I never changed my personality. Uh, and I think that's so, probably what helped you be so successful because when I when I've had other undercover agents on the job or on the podcast and they've talked about how tough it was to shake that character and bring it home to their wives or kids or mm-hmm. they start drinking or it's like they just can't they start spiraling out of control and become this person that they're supposed to be but they're not <clears throat> for you to just be true to yourself. I mean, there had to have been obviously if people have read your book and know your story where the, you had to, you're about to be made man or this type of stuff where you get further and further the mafia family and entrench them. Like there's obviously parts there where it's like, it's gotta be somewhat scary. I mean. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, it is because when, when you infiltrate uh, a violent group or, you know, a group as uh, such as the mafia, I mean, you, you, you know, everything about them, you know, I mean, look, if they thought I was, there's something wrong with me, they're not going to think I'm on the cover agent. They're going to think I'm an informant. So they're not having any problem whacking me, killing me as an informant, you know? But again, I never, I never portrayed myself uh, to be a tough guy. Uh, I I never did the swagger. Right. Uh, uh, I never, you know, I, <clears throat> I never changed my appearances as far as, uh gold chains and rings i mean uh, you know i wore it i wore this uh a, a little cross that i've always worn yep uh i wore this clatter ring which is actually my wedding ring and it was a it was a, a a piece of conversation because not many people know what a clatter ring is right you know so i made that story up but uh <clears throat> I, I I just acted the way I normally I normally I, I just acted like Joe Pistone. That's all he did. Uh and I think that was one of the reasons. And <clears throat> I'm not a drinker. And so I didn't drink that much. I would drink the my normal, you know, half a glass of wine, half a bottle of beer. I mean, I can't finish a whole bottle of beer. Right. And that's what I that's what I did undercover. And it was no big deal. See, what what a lot of young undercovers don't realize is that everybody's a person. 
everybody has their individual personality, you know, right. and it's, and in the beginning, you know, you answer the questions truthfully and, you know, Donnie, uh, you don't drink. No, I don't drink. You know, I can't drink any more than, than a half a bottle of beer. All I can, all I can deal with is one glass of wine. After that, nobody cares. Nobody cares. You know, I never did drugs. Um, uh, Nobody cares if you if you hit it head on in the beginning. You got to let right. it, you know. You, you answer the question the first time it's asked you, and then nobody cares. You don't put it off like oh, I don't feel like it. Well, what does that mean? Well, maybe next time, you know. Yeah. Uh, and then nobody cared. Nobody knew that you know Donnie's not a drinker. That was you know that was me, and that, that's the way I. That's the way I was, and it's the you know the way I am. Uh, but the problem with young young undercovers is that they think they have to act like bad guys. They watch too much television. Yeah, <laughs> be honest with you, that's what they see. You know, on all these undercover shows or police shows. I don't even watch police shows. You know, <laughs> the only police shows I watch are foreign. Yeah, I mean, really, because it, it, it's real life. You know, the actors are real life people. It, um, it, to your point, when it comes to like the perception of what the mafia is, the the appeal for me is always. I mean, obviously, I've watched like The Godfather or like the read the Mario Puzo books or watched Goodfellas, and that's always been my um, kind of approach to like the, they're just. It's a fascinating culture. It's a lifestyle I don't get, but I think what I'm drawn to it is. In the midst of the bloodshed, there's a sense of loyalty and pride, but I don't know if that's misdirected because I think what they're – I'm not condoning the actions of a lot of the mafia, but I think the reason why – like when you watch the – when I watch The Godfather, it's like the loyalty there is just so – I love the idea of loyalty. And so when you get under – you get close to Lefty or Sonny Black and these indictments and convictions start happening, it's like this part of you – or like – even some of your actions resulted in the death of other mobsters by other mobsters. It's like, do you feel part of you? Like I let them down or Donnie Brasco let these guys down because they had my, they trusted, they trusted me. Yeah. No, no. Uh, awesome. And, and I think that's one of the reasons why I was successful because I always maintained, I always knew what my mission was and why I was there. I always knew that I was an FBI agent working a yeah. case. Uh, working undercover and I knew my enemy I knew my enemy uh, I knew that these guys although I you know I got close I got close to them I I slept at their houses I you know I, I mean you couldn't get any closer than I got but I knew who they were <clears throat> I knew when they got a contract to kill somebody it might have been their best friend somebody they knew since they were 10 years old and grew right. up with. Uh, it might have been a relative. So <clears throat> I knew where that where that line was and where that loyalty was. Now, you know, the old time gangsters, mob guys, when I was when I was uh uh in the life, yeah, they 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 had that uh these young guys don't. That's why the mob is where it is now, which is another organized crime group, uh, because they lost that 
that camaraderie, for lack of a better word, they they lost that loyalty to each other. That's why so many guys become informants, you know, because once you slap the cuffs on them, right. uh, <clears throat> they don't want to go to the can. Uh, any one of the guys I work with, only only one guy became an informant, and that was Joey Messina, and that was because he didn't, you know, he. Uh, he had gotten a death penalty and he didn't, he didn't want that, you know? Right. Uh, but none of these other guys turned lefty, never turned Sonny black, never turned Tony mirror, never turned. None of these guys ever turned. Right. I mean, these, these were, you know, I, what I call them die in the wool 24 seven gangsters. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, you take a guy like John Gotti <laughs> yeah. guy, the guy knew he was going away forever. He never, you know, never broke. Uh, these guys believed in the life. Uh, Which is why it's so fascinating. You were able to do what you did as Donnie Brasco would get so close to them. It's like for that to never happen before. And I assume it's got to be just as difficult now based on your actions as Donnie Brasco yeah. to even infiltrate to the level you did not even in the mafia, but other organizations as well. It's just, it, it is interesting when you see all these new stories that come out where, oh, he dimed this guy out or he dimed this out. There's like, there's no, mm. I don't know, like the sense of pride's gone. And that that's yeah. obviously <clears throat> the wrong, it's it's a crime syndicate. But it, it, so I guess my follow-up question, I know you've done a podcast with Michael uh, Ferese. Uh, I know John Ali, I believe his name is out there. These guys that are former the former mafia they've come reformed now and they now that they they come out and talk about their ups and downs or some of the the stuff like that is it are you able to leave that life or is it just another like a, another charade charade in terms well, like how do you actually escape the life of a mafia guy well it's tough uh and i i i give mike i became friends with michael probably 30 years ago and you had a great podcast with him like the thing was yeah. awesome but I mean, we've been friends, like I say, uh, I met him it has to be 30 years ago. Uh, and we, we, you know, we've had a lot of discussions and uh, Michael's one of the few guys that that came out of the life. You know, I mean, Michael was high up there, you know, he yeah. was a capo. Uh, he did his time in a can. You know, he met a young lady and that's how he turned his life around. Uh, so uh, these other guys, I don't know, but I listen to their stories and they don't ring true. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, but, you know, like I say, I, 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 I know, I know what Michael's been doing, you know, with, with his church and, and, yeah. Uh, uh, all the you know uh his his extracurricular activities uh going there uh and he doesn't he doesn't make excuses for being a mob guy right which i think but, i kind of like how we would he like his, some of his episodes he does where he talks like he very he puts a very he makes it very human his yeah. actions like he's he knows he messed up and he wasn't a good yeah. person but it's like I, I just find there's something unique in the fact that someone that's so engraved in that culture can kind of speak about it now 
And like, there's no ramifications really that some other young punk mafia guys look at him go, why are you talking about the, my great, great uncle or even you, or it's like the ramifications you did and you have the, the hit out on you. It's the, the, it takes a lot of courage to talk about these people, these organizations, the way you guys do. Yeah. And you know, a lot of these other guys, they, they're blaming, they, they they put the blame for being a bad guy, being a gangster on somebody else. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> it's like, I, you know, uh, uh, it's one police officer that, that, that I, that went bad. Uh, I heard him speak a few times and it's like, well, you know, I got, I was a young guy. I got put into this unit and these guys were, you know, were taking money and I didn't, you know, uh, I, I start taking it because I was the youngest guy. Well, just get out of the unit, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. If, if you didn't want to take the money, get out of the unit. You don't have to rat anybody else, but just say, Hey, you know, this isn't for me. Uh, right. Go to your CEO and say, I want out. You was, know? Were you ever a, of like, how hyper aware of you of other, were there other agencies uh, besides FBI that had potential undercover or were other agencies, how in tube other agencies of knowing, Hey, we have a guy on the inside. You don't know who it is or what they're doing, but just so you're aware, like, were you ever afraid of a, say a blue on blue accident or, uh, someone in your own agency diving you out. Like, like, how do you, because it just seems so fascinating that you have to trust a lot of people to do your job. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I was, you know, uh, I was lucky that in the day uh, when we, when we started an undercover operation, I, it's all changed now. Okay. Uh, we didn't have to tell anybody. All right. I mean, headquarters and the local office that started the operation were the only ones that knew about it. And it wasn't the whole office that knew it. It was just that particular squad, particular squad at headquarters knew it. We didn't tell the U S attorney's office. We didn't tell local departments. Uh, so it was, it was kept pretty close. So I didn't have any any worry about getting dimed out uh, by my own group. Uh, today I would only because you have to tell everybody in the yes. world. You know, I mean, the FBI can't start an undercover operation without the Department of Justice knowing about it. Well, you know, and and not that anybody does it intentionally, but you know. They're out at a bar after work and, hey, we got some case going, blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? That didn't happen back in the day. Uh, so that wasn't a concern of mine. Uh, more of a concern was maybe bumping into into somebody that you knew. Right. You know? Was it, uh, was it weird seeing your portrayal of Donnie Brasco by Johnny Depp in the film? Like, how does that, when you get the call and, hey, your book is being optioned for a movie or whatever, are you kind of like, at what point are you like, like, holy cow, this is 
this is either fascinating or man, I've actually did some really good work and people are starting to notice <clears throat> the sacrifices I made. Yeah. Well, you know, that was like with the book, you know, I mean, uh, a good friend of mine I went to I went to high school with, we were good friends, was a casting director, Lou DiGiamo. May he rest in peace. Uh, <clears throat> when he's when it broke in the papers, you know, uh, he was located in New York and uh, it was like he, he came to court one day and I, I saw him in a courtroom and stuff, you know, and he gave me to give me to call me. And I called him and he said, man, you got a hell of a story. You know, you got a book. And I'm thinking, who cares? Right. You know, but what I didn't realize or what I didn't foresee is how big this really was. I mean, after after my first day on the witness stand, it was in every major newspaper you know, under FBI undercover agents spent six years in the mafia, uh, elevated to become a made guy. Uh, I mean, it, worldwide, it was all over the place. Who, who knew? You know, I mean, that that's not your right your pur- your purpose to go into the operation. Uh, and I said, Lou, who cares? You know, but then as I I was on a witness stand, more come out. It was like, whoa, this thing is bigger than. <laughs> bigger than us here uh so uh then after a few years you know i was able to write the book and then it say they want to make a movie of this it's like uh, you know it it just kept going right. uh, <clears throat> was uh and i i think the film's awesome and i just love i love the portrayal but would you how difficult was it you to technically advise someone like Johnny Depp to portray you? Like, was it, how often would you just be look at that? Be, or even if you watch other mafia movies and you're like, that's not really how that works. Yeah. Well, you know, I was, I was fortunate. I mean, yeah. If you know the movie business, uh, <clears throat> the entertainment business, once they sign your, you know, they get you to sign your name. They, <laughs> they yeah. don't even know who you are anymore. You know? But I was fortunate enough that uh, through 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 Lou, uh, he was he had he was casting all the Barry Levinson's movies. Barry Levinson, the famous director. Yep. So I met with Barry, and and Barry was you know I mean I met good people along the way. Uh, although they were Hollywood people, they were you know they were solid. <clears throat> uh, and and then you know they. They went through a few A-list actors, uh, but uh, and they got a, a great writer, Paul Antonazio, uh, who did a hell of a job. And and even Paul, I sat down with Paul. Paul sat down with members of my family. I mean, most of these people really don't care, you know. Give me the book and I'll write off the book, you know. Uh, but Paul sat down with any anybody. He said, "Tell me who you you know who who can provide me with you know besides what's in the book." And I did. Uh, <clears throat> and then, like I say, I, I, not to mention, but they they went through every A list actor. Yeah. And you know, actors always want to change the script. You know, they had a few actors that said, "Well, I 
this wouldn't happen. And Barry said, it happened. This is the guy that did it. What do you mean? You know, or I would do it this way. Well, that's not the way it happened. <clears throat> so he, he, he got, uh, he finally came down to, and Johnny was in there, but they thought Johnny was, 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 uh, too little, too young. Yep. Uh, and he was good looking, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but uh, then they then actually Al Pacino, uh, they had Al Pacino, and actually Al Pacino recommended, uh, told told Barry, you know, give give this kid Depp a shot. Yep. He said. Uh, He's a hell of an actor. Uh, and they sent him the script. And once he read the script, he said, I'm in. So I spent a lot of time with Johnny. I mean, uh, spent days with him. Uh, he, he, he very, uh, he picks up things quick. He picked, I mean, he picked up my walk. He picked, I mean, it was amazing, you know, just being with him. Um, well, I know I you said that, like Donnie Brasco really was an extension of Joe Pistone, but it, it is interesting <clears throat> that here's Johnny Depp looking at you as a character he's about to portray and trying to pick up different things. And like, it's a really cool thing where it's like, you're both acting the same character. Like, it's just a yeah. weird, for me, it's like, it's really, when you have you talk yeah, about well, that? Yeah, well, I mean, he, he was really picking up Joe Pistone. Right. I mean, because like right. I, said, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't change from Donnie Brasco. I didn't go from right. A to B, A to B, back and forth. Uh, and he always asked questions, but he was very observant. You know, he observed my walk. He observed how I talk. He observed, you know, a little cough here and there. I mean, he he was unbelievable and just an unbelievable uh, actor and a, an unbelievable person, individual. Uh, we're still friends today, you know. I mean, it's... Uh, he did a hell of a job. I don't, I don't, and going back to all the other A-list actors yep. that were interested, uh, I don't think any of them could have really pulled it off like Johnny did. Right. No, it's a, it's a great film. <clears throat> you kind of touched upon your family aspect, but how vital is it for someone who's undercover to have that strong family dynamic at home that to kind of help whoever that man or woman is undercover come back to like a place where it's like your, your <clears throat> home, your it's, it's everyone loves you here. Like how, do, how vital is that? Well, it is. And, and, and that's one of the main things on, on working undercover. You can't go into undercover running away from anything, you know, right. Uh, running away from, from a supervisor. You don't like uh, uh, a bad home situation because when you're in that undercover position, you got to have a clear mind, you know, uh, you can't have other other things grinding on your mind uh, externally uh, that are problems uh, because it takes your focus away from your job. Right. Um, so, but I mean, look, <clears throat> majority undercover agents are divorced. Right. You know, uh, or have, you know, have had problems, you know. Right. And, and I think the reason being is that they try to take on another persona. You can't take on another personality. Right. You know, you got to keep your own personality. That's how you keep, 
that's how you keep grounded by being yourself. Yeah. It, when it comes to when you got the hit put on your head, the the, the, the half a million dollars on your head, was there any point when that came out where you're like, did everything I do, was it really worth it to live in fear now of retaliation? Uh, yeah, that runs through your mind, you know, but <clears throat> uh, what I will say is that uh, once we got information about the hit, the, the FBI acted accordingly right. and swift, uh, you know, uh, and you know if it if there if there wasn't any concern then there then you you know then you gotta wonder why but uh you know i've had a uh all the trials uh all the convictions and we we never lost uh we never lost a defendant or a trial due to entrapment which is awesome. Yeah. That's saying something for six years. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh <clears throat> we lost one defendant uh because a jury screwed up, but then we convicted him later on in another case. So uh so you know, uh that's that, that that's what makes it worthwhile because I mean, why are you doing this? You're doing all of this to you know, to get indictments and go to trial and to get convictions. And and we did that. We right. did that. Do you, so is it fair to say again, that when you, when you, I mean, obviously you have to live your life, right. Whether go to the store or do this other stuff that everyone else does. Are you ever kind of like, obviously you're hyper aware, right. Of your surroundings, which any law, good law enforcement officer should right. be. But with the way the world is today and a bunch of crazy people and your persona or your life you've lived and how it's out there and you talk about it and do all the stuff. Do you ever, is there any type of fear there where you can't really live the rest of your time without looking over your shoulder going some young punk from some stupid mob family is going to come after me? Well, that, that, that's, that's the concern, you know, is that uh, some, some cowboy, right. Say, you know, Jesse James type thing. Yeah. yeah I'm going to knock off Donnie Brasco and, yeah. and, uh, and become famous. Well, that's, that's the last thing that's going to happen to you because then you're going to get whacked, <laughs> you know? Right. No, 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 nobody wants that heat put on them. I mean, right. nobody in their right mind, you know? When it came but to that, the, yeah, that's what you think about is the cowboy. Yeah. Gotcha. When it came to the, the actual pandemic for those two or three years, I know how it affected law enforcement. We all saw the demonstrations and all that crazy bullshit there. But when it came to like organized crime, did that have a big damper on organized crime like organizations, the pandemic? Like, did they have to get super creative? Like, how in tune are you right now with the whereabouts or <clears throat> the 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 criminal organization, the plan of some of these mafia groups today? Well, they're still look. They're in. They're into the. They're into the uh, narcotics business. Gotcha. Uh, they're into any look any scam you can think of uh, credit card scams uh if if it's going to make them a dime they're going to be in it uh and the the pandemic did not put a, any damper on their criminal activities uh if anything i think it enhanced them because you know uh, how everybody was so uh, 
paranoid about about the pandemic, uh, even you know, even the government and law enforcement, you know. Well, I can um, I can picture them doing some scheme on the PPE loads or something crazy where it's just like. <laughs> I gar- I guarantee you that 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 they made millions off of those off of those loans. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know what's amazing. If some of these guys would just use that creativity oh, legitimately, I, you'd cure cancer. You'd cure world hunger. Yes. You know, you can't believe how, how they sit there and think up scams and schemes. And it's like, man, if you did this legitimately, you'd be a millionaire, a billionaire, you know? Uh, but that's not the thing. The whole thing is getting over on demand, you know? Right. <laughs> that, that, that's where the uh, the adrenaline uh, starts pumping. Oh, we got over on somebody, you know? Right. How therapeutic is writing for you or even podcasting with your own podcast when you talk about this stuff? Like, does it help you kind of just uh, talk about these old stories and memories of the life you lived? Or Because, I, I mean, do you ever have wake up some mornings like a cold sweat, like a nightmare, or like, holy hell, like I can't believe I made it through that scenario? Uh, no, I... I... I don't wake up in a cold sweat, but sometimes I, when I'm talking to uh, some friends and everything, you know, yep, uh, or when I'm I'm doing my podcast, then it hits me, man. Uh, what the hell was I thinking when I did that? Right. You know, uh, why why would I go to that meeting? You know, at twelve o'clock at night. Right. You know. Uh, when I, when I having a beef with somebody, <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's, that that's just, again, that's just my mentality, you know? And you were so close to being a made man where <clears throat> was it, were you upset that the operation was ending earlier? Like what would that have, what shockwaves would that have sent if you actually, as Donnie Brasco became a made man? Like, was that part, is that, do you ever look back at that going, man, I wish they kept me in there another six months or whatever. Oh yeah, yeah. Forget about it. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Can you imagine the headlines? Oh my God! Just the F- books. Yeah. You know, uh, mafia, <clears throat> mafia inducts undercover FBI agent into the family. Jeez. And yeah, I've you know, uh, <clears throat> my handler at headquarters was uh, Jules Bonavolante, who's a very, very dear, dear friend. And he and I had some hellacious arguments uh, over that, over that, you know. Uh, but he said no because you know at the time there was a shooting war going on with the Bonanno family, yep. and I, I, you know, I was on one side and uh, I was actually on the the winning side. But still, in all, there was still a you know a shooting war going on, uh, and I had been given the a couple of contracts to kill some of the, the, the opposition. Um, and Jules wanted, <clears throat> wanted to shut it down. Um, some people, other people in headquarters didn't want, didn't want to shut it down, but uh, Jules and I came to an agreement uh, at this meeting that, that I wouldn't oppose it. Uh, but he knew I did. Uh Yeah. Because his his main fear was, look, you know, chances of you getting whacked are getting higher you know, now. Yeah, are a hundred percent here. Uh, but I'm saying, look, you know, 
just look at the the upside. Oh, <laughs> you know, it would be crazy, right? Is it? Do you when I watch like Netflix usually does a lot of like documentaries on like whether it's the St. Valentine's Day massacre or like yeah. these famous shootouts or even TV shows and movies and the books. I read all that stuff too, but I'm always just like, at what point does it glorify the violence of the mafia history in terms of, like, where do you draw the line between the history and showing the, the bad, the bad, terrible stuff they did versus let's get more eyes and ears on the stuff. Cause we're, people are just fixated on it. Like, is there ever a part of you where kind of like, I wish the media or they wouldn't glorify <clears throat> too much spotlight on these guys weren't heroes. These guys aren't good men. But yeah. sometimes when you watch these films or hear these podcasts where these they do like read these books, you're like, they make it seem like this is the next Excalibur or like Joan of Arc or like all these heroes. And you're just kind of like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah, well, that's why, I, you know, that's what, like, like I mentioned previous, some of these, uh, some of these wise guys that, yeah. you know, that, you know, went into the program, uh, did their time come out and now they, you know, it, it it it's like uh would they want to go back definitely i definitely think they would they would want to go back you know but the mob like i say you know the mob when i talk about the mob I'm talking about the the, the yes. mafia the italian mob, they're not the same you know they're the, the they they've lowered themselves to just being another organized crime group involved in you know they don't control the you know look when I was when when I was in the life, they controlled the whole country. There wasn't anything that moved in the U.S. that the mob didn't get get a piece of. Right. They're not, you know, they're not like that anymore. You know, may they might they control a couple local unions today? Yeah, but do they control the whole union? No. Uh, but. Uh, uh, you know, you can't go back because it's it, it's not the same, right? Um, and I assume law enforcement's adapted over the years, where they will do as much as they can now prevent that from ever getting to the level it was before. Or is that something where if they got organized and got creative mm -hmm. and started did what they did before back in the sixties and seventies, they could be a prevalent power again? I don't know. I think law enforcement's uh, They're uh, pretty, involved and, yeah. and come a long way. I mean, you know, look, uh, uh, and you know, social media has a lot to, has a lot to do with it today too. Uh, but they're still, you know, they're still scamming and scheming and making money. I mean, look, you're never going to put any any organized crime group out of business because that's human nature, right? Right. Uh, you get people that don't want to work. They, you know, their minds always, their minds always churning on how to scam and scheme. Uh, <clears throat> and, you know, to, to answer something that you mentioned before, uh, I think that the, 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 the public's uh, fantasy with organized crime is what they see on television. Right. When they see these mob shows, <clears throat> or they see these uh, these crime, you know, these crime shows. Look, they they always see the mobsters, the the the, the mafia guys, you know, the the American uh, mafia, you know, in suits, you know, yep. uh, nice, uh, 
nice offices, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the social clubs are, you know, a former candy store. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and they don't wear suits every day. You know, I mean, uh, their dress code is you got to dress nice. Right. You know, because they have a, they have a code. But uh, and you know the, the, these guys that you know they they talk like uh, uh, Shakespearean times, you know, with right. <laughs> all this flowery language and stuff. That's not the way it is. I mean, you know, these guys are there, you know, scamming and scheming uh, every day how to make a dime. Uh, and uh, I'm trying to picture like a sunny black or lefty watching Godfather or that scene in <laughs> Goodfellas where he's slicing the garlic with the razor blade. It's like stuff like that where it's like I love that stuff because I think it's so over the top and awesome. Yeah, of course, but but where's like if you had to besides Donnie Brasco, what film or even TV show is the closest to kind of what you're talking about the down and dirty of what mafia families actually doing on a daily basis probably uh good fellows yeah 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 i mean because you know you saw the social club you saw how they acted uh when they went out um yeah uh <clears throat> and i think donnie brasco has was a good and not because you know but no of course be, be, because it, it it showed these guys in their real life, you know, yes. uh, their real light. I mean, look, The Godfather is a great movie. I mean, it, 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 you know, but a lot of it uh, upgraded these yes. individuals. You know what I mean? Uh, it, it, it was like an opera, you know? Yes. Uh, but you know, I mean, a couple of the social clubs that 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 we had, you know, they, they, they nothing palatial about them. And I always get a kick when uh, <laughs> when they show, you know, <clears throat> they show a wise guy with a suit on, and he's he, he's got a gun in his shoulder holster. And <laughs> I've never seen a wise guy carry a, a gun in a holster yet. It's in their waistband. It's in their jacket pocket. It's in their pants. Uh, and they don't carry guns on a daily basis. The only time they carry a gun is when they're going to go do, go do a piece of work. Right. You know? Um, and <clears throat> I think why the American public has this fascination is that, they, again, they see these, you know, they see these TV shows or the movies, and none of these guys work, right? They always got a flashy car. Uh, they always got a wad of cash. Um, they're always out cabareting every night where the average Joe, what does he do? He goes to work eight to five or whatever it is. He comes home, he pops his can of beer. Uh, on Saturday, he's got to mow the lawn. He's got to paint the fence. <laughs> he's got, you, you know, the bills. Yeah. and it's like, but they watch the wise guys and they're thinking, man, what a life these guys got, you know? Uh, but, you know, they don't realize that every day you get up and, and, and you think is today the day I go to jail or is today the day I get whacked. Right. You know? Uh, but that, I think that's the fascination that they, 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 they see it all, you know, they don't see it a real wise guy, you know? And look, these guys got the same problems as the normal Joe, 
you know, if they got kids, they got kids that may be a pain in the ass. Yep. <laughs> they might have a wife or girlfriend, you know, that they're having problems with. Their wife may be sick. Their kids may be sick. I mean, they got all the same problems. Right. You know, it's just that they handle them in a different way. Yes. You know, than, than, than the, the average person. Yeah. Before I let you go, I want I do want to talk more about your podcast and kind yeah. of when you when you launch that, some of the stories you tell, some of the guests you have are incredible. But like if, if people want to check that out or kind of follow it, like where can we where can everyone go check that out? Well, you know, you can go anywhere you get your podcast. It's it's uh deep cover, the real Donnie Brasco. And you, and there's a few deep cover podcasts, but you know, it's gotta be the real Donnie Brasco. And anywhere you get your podcast, you know, uh, you can go to Jam Street Media. That's our production company. You can get it on there, Jam Street Media. You can get it on uh, Google, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get a podcast. Yeah, yeah. I love. And you know, you can still get my books on Amazon. Yep. Uh, Donnie Brasco, my undercover life in the mafia, or uh, Unfinished Business, which is the the, the follow up to uh, my. Uh, Donnie Brasco, my undercover life in the mafia. Uh, and I, I got several books. If you go on, just punch in Donnie Brasco on Amazon, all yeah. the books will come up. Yeah. The good guys. Yeah. The good guys. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've always, I loved, I've gotten friends with like Lou Veloze and uh, Jay Dobbins and yeah. Steve Murphy, those guys we talked about, but I love that you guys are able to put those books out and talk about your lives and career. And I think it's, I think some times people lose hindsight of what the sacrifices men like you guys have done for the best, the betterment of this country. And so I thank you for your work there. And I know being a law enforcement officer isn't a, a, uh, sometimes a glorious job or it's a difficult job, but I know, uh, I'm grateful for the actions of people like you. Well, so thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And, uh, yeah, this has been awesome. And uh, be sure everyone check out your podcast, pick up your books. And uh, Joe, this, is, this has been awesome. Thank you. Do it again sometime. Thank you, sir. Oh, hello. I'm just enjoying this nice fucking candle. Anyways, I'm John, the host of Spirit Talk, and I want to talk to you about nice fucking candles. We are lucky to have nice fucking candles as a sponsor of the podcast. And if you use code SPIRITALK15, you get 15% off your first order or use the affiliate link below to always get your candle needs through Nice Fucking Candles. Nice Fucking Candles are 100% soy wax. They have a 65-hour burn time, maybe more, if you uh, nurse the flame a little bit, maybe. I don't know, I'm not an expert on flames uh, or candles, but I will say these things burn a long fucking time. You ask me about the wick, it's a double wick for even burning, which is amazing. And uh, they come in three incredible flavors. Uh, I'm not sure if you're going to be eating these candles, but if you do like them, the scents are eucalyptus and ginseng, tobacco and fireside, and seaside and driftwood. Once again, uh, nice fucking candles. They are the candle company for Spirit Talk. And if you love candles and need a good scent to clear out your office, your room, your podcast room, your weight room, uh, your whatever you're doing in a room that smells like crap, use this candle. It's amazing. Thank you. Check them out. Love nice fucking candles. I'm 
I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know? And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world, and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com.